Join with me in prayer, please. Holy Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you, the opportunity we have to hear from you, and the opportunity we have to grow in you. Thank you for the things that you have provided for us. Thank you for the families that you have given us. Thank you for the people that love us and that we can love as well. And I pray that as we continue to discuss the whole topic of peace and we zero in on our homes, that we would not just have an idea of what would be good, but we would be able to apply the truths of Scripture to uh, our homes and the people that we love so much. Help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. And pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, what's the last argument that you had? Uh, do you remember who was involved? Do you remember when it was? Think about that for a bit. When's, when's the last conflict that, that you were involved in? So if you have that zeroed in, I'd venture to guess that the majority of us, if we were to just take a quick survey, would be thinking about conflict that took place within our families. And many times that takes place within our homes. Is your home a place of peace? Is your home a place that um, you can go to and relax? It's an environment for you, uh, that you long to experience? Uh, is where you live where your heart feels at rest? Or are there times that you can't rest because of conflict? I was preparing this message and, and um, I asked my wife Renee if I could use uh, a recent conflict that we had as, as an illustration. I run all my illustrations past my wife to get her okay, so uh, we don't have further conflict down the road. So I uh, was asking her about a particular one that we had and uh, she said, okay, um, you can use it, but you have to tell me what you're going to say, which I think is probably too detailed for me to do at the time, but I went ahead and did it. So I began to tell her what the conflict was. And this is basically what it was. We uh, had a Saturday coming up as Friday evening. Uh, our daughter and son-in-law and two grandkids have been living with us and we've had uh, great times with our grandkids. Uh, but my wife had spent quite a bit of time with grandkids that Friday and she announced, I think after dinner that, uh, hey, tomorrow's your time. Uh, for the grandkids, I'd like you to, I'd like you to, to uh, be involved in, in uh, spending some time with them. And I realized as she was saying that, that I was uh, already scheduled with some appointments on Saturday. And uh, I basically insensitively said, uh, honey, I've got bad news for you, which was not a great way to start, I admit. And I explained to her that I had these, these uh, appointments and she voiced her concern, a little bit of displeasure with that because I didn't communicate that to her up front. And then I very sensitively said, well, I'm just doing this, you know, so I can be a good provider, you know, for you and the family, which is also not a good thing to say. And I would not recommend that as, as a uh, rejoinder in any conflict that you have, men. Um, so we were going through this conflict uh, the day before I was presenting to the to teach team and <laughs> we, we were talking back and forth. And I said, well, then I said this. And she said, no, you didn't. You didn't say it that way. I said, well, yes, I did. She said, no, you didn't. I said, okay, well, let's leave that. Uh, then I said this. No, you didn't. And what we were doing is we, we started having a conflict about our conflict. You ever feel like you're in situations like that at home? You ever feel like 
This is, this is just sort of snowballing. We can't get control of it. We live in turbulent times. Times where conflict has become a daily reality. Political conflict, racial conflict, conflict with law enforcement, conflict over health restrictions. Our news media gives us a constant flow of unrest, discord, and anger. Matthew 10 is, is an in, interesting passage, and it's one of the more interesting passages in the Gospels. It's a little bit jarring when you read it, because these are the words of Jesus, and Jesus in, in this setting talks about conflict. And here are his words, Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36. Do not suppose that I come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And in this passage, Jesus quotes an Old Testament prophet, Micah, and it's Micah 7, 6 that he quotes, and I think I would have been a little stunned had I been in that audience, and I still am stunned when I, stunned when I read that as a part of the gospel. Boy, that, that's, that's something. But Jesus is, is giving us an indication that conflict isn't something that's strange to him. God is never surprised by conflict. He's not surprised by family conflict. In fact, this passage would indicate that, that God sometimes is the subject of this conflict. He doesn't cause it, but, but a lot of times that can cause a division. Also interesting in the Gospels, two passages where, where Jesus as an adult has interaction with his family. Um, one is in Luke chapter 8. It's uh, Luke chapter 8, verse, uh, starting with verse 19. And uh, Luke who's the, the uh, historian here, uh, scholars believe that Luke relied very, very uh, much on the, the accounts of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as he, as he wrote this gospel. It's an interesting little passage in the middle of this gospel. Uh, Luke, Luke 8, uh, 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's the end of this little passage. Isn't it interesting that, as, as Mary probably is talking with Luke, that that is inserted? Why would that be inserted in the Gospels? Well, I think there's, there's an indication, there's probably several reasons, but one of, the, one of the reasons, this is an indication that sometimes agenda that you have is different from the agenda of your family. And the, and the sense around this passage is that the, you know, the, his mother and, and his brothers are there. They, they, they want to talk to him. And, and some scholars believe that they were concerned in, in terms of some of the things that they had heard that, that was being said about Jesus. But Jesus very, very clearly says, I'm not going to have an interaction. And, and he looks to the crowd and he says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word. So you have a difference there of... of, of purpose. You have a clash of agendas. Another passage uh, where Jesus as an adult uh, has interaction with his family is, is John chapter 2. It's Jesus' first miracle. Jesus is at a wedding, the wedding of Cain in Galilee, and uh, uh, they're, they're celebrating, and uh, Mary, his mother, realizes that they have run out of wine, the hosts, and, and she knows that they will be embarrassed. And so 
She says in John chapter 2, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, this wasn't just an observation. Jesus knew the, the underlying message of that, and he responds, woman, why do you involve me? Now, that sounds a bit harsh in terms of the translation. Woman is not a, a, a negative way of saying this. It's, it's a, but Jesus, I think, is, is very clear. He, and he goes on to say, my hour has not yet come. Again, you have a clash of agendas. You have a clash of wills. There's conflict. So, so Jesus experienced this, and, and we do as well. We all have opinions. We all have wishes. We all have agendas that we want to, to, to live out as individuals, but we do that in, in, in harmony, preferably, with those that we love. But sometimes the harmony turns into disharmony. But another passage, John 14, 27, Jesus says seemingly the opposite. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the Matthew text is, is more about commitment to following Jesus, what that might cause in terms of, of the people that, that are closest to you. But the John text is a promise once we have decided to follow him. He does want us to experience peace, and I, I think God wants us to experience peace, obviously, most importantly, in our homes. So God's not surprised by conflict. God came to earth as a man in the, in the, in, in the form of, of, of human flesh, his son Jesus, to a world that was filled with conflict. Wars, rumors of wars, along with everyday struggles that families go through to love each other through the difficult times of financial hardship, illnesses, adolescence, marital discord, parenting challenges, and the challenges of our personal demons when living in community with those we love. And Jesus never avoided conflict when important issues needed to be addressed. So I don't know if you are familiar with the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a system where, where you can uh, look at um, nine different personality types and, and it helps determine a little bit more of who you are as an individual, your strengths and weaknesses. And uh, I've done a bit of work on that and I've discovered what my number is. They're just numbers one through nine. There are names for each of them, but, but they're known by the numbers. I'm, I'm a nine on the Enneagram. You know, what the, you know what the moniker for nine is in the Enneagram? Peacemaker. There I am, the peacemaker. Uh, that's, that's, that's what nines are called. Really, what that means is, is nines can tend to be conflict avoiders. And when I read that, that nailed me. Because I don't want anything that's going to disrupt my personal peace. So I can just sort of deflect and ignore and, 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 and try to push off uh, conflict when, when it arises. But how do we bring peace into our homes when they're rife with conflict? How, how can this peace really last. So if we're Jesus followers, how does that really lead us to deal with conflict? Well, here's, here's my premise, and this is, I'll repeat this at the end of our time here, but, but I want to say it uh, ahead of time. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the product of healthy conflict resolution. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is the product of healthy conflict resolution. So I want to give you three, three um, words that I would like you to, to remember and, and inject or, or let influence 
your conflict, when you have conflict with your spouse, when you, with your parents, with your children. Uh, three words that I think are really important uh, to, for us to deal with. The first one is the word truth. Truth. Now, there's such a thing I think all of us realize as absolute truth. We know God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there are things that are absolute. But there are also things that I have convictions about, you have convictions about, that, that are our own personal truth. And when I, when I mention this word, what, I, what I'm wanting to do when I have conflict and what, I, what I'm encouraging you to do is to be honest about the conflict, that there is one, and to be honest in the conflict, that you really need to understand uh, what, what is taking place and, and what your perspective is. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Interesting that Paul talks about the church and believers in Jesus, and he encourages them to enter into, really, enter into potential conflict situations, speaking the truth, but doing it in love. Speak the truth in love. John 18, Jesus, before his crucifixion, is talking to Pilate, and he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Of course, Pilate gives the famous rejoinder, well, what is truth? So we all have things that we believe to be true, we all have our opinions. Renee and I were talking about our conflict. She had a she had a a, a bit of a difference, or actually quite a bit of a difference, of, of of what she perceived that took place in terms of the conversation, the words that were said. By the way, my wife in the enneagram is a one, which is which is the perfectionist, and they ones tend to be have, have a really close view on what's right, what's wrong. And a lot of times she, she has a better understanding of what actually was said and took place. I spend a lot of my week doing counseling. I do a lot of counseling with couples. And I will say that um, uh, everyone, you know, is a little bit askance initially. I think when the whole topic of counseling comes in, especially couples counseling, it doesn't mean our marriage isn't good. I have total respect for any couple that will come in and say, hey, we, we, we want help and we want to work through these issues. I, I, I can't tell you the, the level of love and respect I have for the people that I get to talk with. But there are differences. So I, many times I'll talk to individuals first, a, a husband individually, a wife individually, and they will tell me their story as I get to know them. And so I'll listen to the wife speak and she will tell me what, what's going on in her relationship and, and um, it's... There are some things that really need to be de dealt with as, as I hear these things. And then the husband will come in, and many times, if, if you didn't know that they were married and, and, and were in a relationship together, you would think you were listening to uh, a, a different marriage because there are different viewpoints in terms of what's true and what's not true. The goal here in talking about truth is coming to a place where you have a shared understanding. So when we understand, hey, this is what we can embrace together as a father and a son, a, a, a wife and a husband, a, a, a brother and a sister, we can, we can agree together. Then truth leads us to personal maturity. And that personal maturity leads to relational maturity. 
here's some things that, that I, when we talk, when I talk about truth, things that I suggest and, and try to do myself. First of all, when you're trying to really understand what has happened and what the situation is, what the conflict's all about, take your time. Don't react. I've said this in messages before, the difference between good parenting and bad parenting is five seconds. Don't respond right away. Don't, 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 don't jump into the, into the fray. And that leads to the next thing. You think, you don't speak. So if you can wait, then you can think. And then as you're thinking, I would like, I'd like to encourage you to, to what I call tune into Jesus, not yourself. How, how is a Christ-like way to respond? And I believe if you can take your time, think, and tune into Jesus, I think you, you'll, you'll get to what's, what's true and, the, and that, that shared understanding a lot more quickly. So truth is the first. Second is the word humility. Uh, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is just putting the other person in the conflict ahead of yourself. You put them first. Real, with a realization that you might have the right, not have the right perspective. Maybe, maybe their perspective is, is more to the point. I had a family from Summit email me and uh, they told me that their son was graduating from FSU this last spring and, and I thought they did a great thing. They said, we're, we're looking to have some people that uh, have been speaking into his life over the years to just come up with one word, one word that you would encourage him with as he heads into adulthood. And the word that I sent back was the word humility. Uh, we don't live in humble times. We don't live in times where, where the first step uh, people take when there's difference of opinions. Let me stop and let me hear you clearly. Let me understand what you have to say. James, very clear in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I want God's favor, but there is a, there is a gate, there is a, there is a path to that, and that path involves humility. I had a couple come in to see me recently. They gave me permission to use this illustration. Um, very, very sharp couple, both very good communicators, uh, both have strong opinions, and um, I've enjoyed getting to know them. and seeing how they grow together as a couple, but they were having a hard time. And they had diametrically opposed uh, opinions when it come, came to what's going on in our country and, and uh, opinions on health and opinions on politics. And I listened, first of all, to the husband give this very, very impassioned and, and clear presentation of where he was and how deeply he felt. And then the, it was the wife's turn and she did the same thing. And they they had excellent points. They made beautiful cases, and they were just totally opposite from each other. Uh, this this conflict could have gone all the way to Supreme Court. I don't. I I I was just sort of like I I wasn't sure what to do. So I sat back in my chair, and I asked this question. I said, "Okay, who's right?" Now both of them are believers in Jesus, and both of them I think began to think through. Okay. That's sort of a no-win question because if I if I say me, then you know I'm not taking the path of humility. Who's right, Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or liberals, lockdowns or opening our communities? Who's right? Who's right? Look, humility says 
I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I might have an opinion, but I don't know if I know that answer. Zach, several weeks ago, we were going through our Psalm series this summer. He did a wonderful message on Psalm 51. He made this statement, and it just struck me as he said it. He says he's talking about the law and, and, and following the law and David's sin. And, and uh, he made this statement. He says, without grace, our only hope is to get it right. And we can't get it right. We're fallen people. We are sinful. And humility is the way that we can extend in a loving and, 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 and profound way grace to the people that we're talking with and people with whom we have conflict. My favorite G.K. Chesterton quote, I've, I've given it a couple times in my messages, but I, I, I just love it. He, he was in a, in a uh, conversation with, with the media and he was asked the question, what's wrong with the world? That, that'd be a great question to answer today. What's wrong with the world? I'm sure we'd have a lot of opinions. His answer was on point. He says, what's wrong with the world? He says, what's wrong with the world is me. The right answer, the truthful answer the answer of humility. When you're in conflict, truth is important, but humility is, is the thing that will get you to the place where you're going to really hear and understand the other person. So you do what you can to communicate, but you allow God to lead you through that, that, that humble response to repair the relationship. And can I give a word to husbands here? Uh, wives, you can tune out and, uh, uh, all, all the kids out there, you can tune out too. I'm, I'm talking about, about husbands and dads. Um, I want to encourage you as a husband and as a father to be the peacemaker in your home. Jesus uh, was, the, was a peacemaker when he came here. And Paul, in Ephesians 5, as he's talking to husbands, says that husbands need to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And the most profound way that Christ loved us is that he sacrificed himself for us. He took the initiative. So husbands, I want you to be the peacemakers in your home as Jesus was our peacemaker. Always take the initiative. So moving on, truth, humility, there's the last word. It's fairly obvious, but I think it's really important to mention here, and that word is love. Truth, humility, and then love. Love allows you to stop trying to win the conflict. Love allows you to seek to understand before you insist on being understood. I use uh, the 1 Corinthians 13 passage almost universally when I, when I officiate weddings. Uh, there are other passages that are wonderful as well, but that, that, that passage is, is such a on-point passage when it comes to the whole concept of love, and it's beautifully written. And I'd, I'd like to just focus on that in terms of what it means to, to use love in the middle of a conflict. 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4. Listen to these attributes that Paul mentions. And picture yourself in a conflict and see if you can put yourself in a conflict doing these things, because if you do these things, you'll be doing conflict in a loving way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Are you kind in your conflicts? Love is not proud. Love is not self-seeking. 
Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrong. Love protects. Love trusts. Love hopes. Love perseveres. And then Paul ends this, love never fails. And beginning this chapter, he, he says it so beautifully, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. You want, you, you want a, a conflict resolution tool? Use this passage and, and ask God to allow you to show these qualities to the person, to your son that you have the conflict with, to, to your daughter that you're, you're struggling with, to your husband, to your wife, and see what God does in terms of helping you through that conflict. I had a client years ago, I was just starting counseling, and he was a husband, he, they, he had chronic conflict with his wife. They, they just, you know, every, every time they came in, it was something new. We just, it, just the new conflict, I was trying to help them work through it. Finally, after one session, I said, look, you got to try something different. I said, next time you start into a conflict, I looked at the husband, the wife was there too. I said, look, you've got to, you've got to Pull out your Bible. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and I want you to read the love passage. Just read it slowly, carefully, out loud. And then when you're done, then you can enter into the conflict. And he looked at me and, and said, okay, I'll try it. And so he came back two weeks later. I said, how's it going? Uh, you know, he said, wow. He said, I, I don't know. I said, well, how did you do it? I asked you. He said, yes, it didn't work. I said, what do you mean it didn't work? He said, well, we started to have a conflict. I I pulled out my Bible, I read it. I said, then what happened? He said, well, at the end, he says, I just didn't feel like fighting anymore. I said, I think it's working. I think it's working. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the product of healthy conflict resolution. Renee and I ended that second discussion of, of, of our conflict, just so I could get this ready for this message. We, we ended that time looking at each other and said, are we having another conflict over our conflict? And we just both burst out laughing and just gave grace to each other and said, okay, let's, let's just move ahead. Give grace to each other as you, as you go into your conflicts. You bring peace to your home when you're committed to truth, infused with humility and expressed in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I know that there are families, spouses, moms and dads, children. I know that there are conflicts that, that we deal with every day. Lord, help us bring you into that conflict. Help us to understand what it means to, to get to the truth. Do it with humility and surround it and saturate it with love. Thank you that you give us the power to do these things, and we pray for that power as we confront these things in our lives, knowing that you are the one who will get us through, and it's for your glory that we do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.